Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sharon Stevens. Today we turn our attention to the just-concluded Missouri legislative session. What garnered the most attention was a successful effort by Missouri lawmakers to send legislation banning abortion after eight weeks to Governor Mike Parson. More of the governor's priorities were also accomplished, and here with me to talk about the abortion ban and much more are St. Louis Public Radio reporters Jason Rosenbaum and Rachel Lipman. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right, let's talk about that elephant in the room, the eight-week abortion ban with no exceptions for rape or incest. Um, Why did legislators focus on this? I think it was something that they had decided was going to be a priority in this legislative session and knew that they wanted to get it across the finish line, whether they were driven by what they saw in Alabama, Georgia, some of the other states where similar bans um, have gone into effect. Ohio, I believe, also has one, or whether it had been something that they believed the Republican base wanted. As a lot of people probably know, Republicans have locked down control of the General Assembly and the governor's office. Every office except for auditor is held by Republicans in the state now. And this was something they knew would be easy, relatively easy to pass in the sense that once if they had to break any filibusters, it was going to pass. And it was something that would work for their base and they could easily hang their hat on as an accomplishment, regardless of what else happened during the session. I see it as a culmination of decades of advocacy against abortion rights in Missouri. Um, I was actually communicating with uh, now former Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder on Saturday, and he predicted that had there been more Democrats in the legislature, probably 30 or 40 of them would have voted for the bill, just because back when he served in the state Senate, there were a lot of Democrats from the St. Louis area and rural Missouri that voted to restrict abortion rights. And the reason I just mentioned that is it kind of showcases that this isn't the first time, um, and it may not be the last time, that we see legislation like this. I think that there is a pretty strong grassroots movement that tries to influence legislators to pass legislation like this. Um, And it's not really about money in many respects. A group like Missouri Right to Life doesn't donate a lot of money to candidates. They just are able to influence a lot of people. And they saw this as the holy grail of their advocacy because a lot of what they've been doing over the past few decades have been fairly incremental. And with the appointment of Neil Gorsuch and uh, Brett Kavanaugh of the Supreme Court, I I think that the anti-abortion rights movement is is becoming a lot more aggressive at passing laws like this. Such a hot-button topic, no matter. (laughs) And uh, I'm wondering, what what was the debate like? It It was a tough debate to listen to. I mean... There wasn't really much debate in the Senate. There no. was there was debate in the Senate a little bit when senators were kind of holding the floor while negotiations were going on. But the real um, speeches that made a lot of people take notice were in the House. And I think you saw legislators on both sides. Because why? Well, because we saw a lot of legislators on both sides of the aisle tell, tell deeply personal stories about themselves. There was like Republican Representative Holly Rader who talked about how she became pregnant at 15 and how her family didn't support her and how she was homeless and how she had to experience the poverty that um, a lot of people in that situation deal with. But she also mentioned that she was glad that she didn't choose to abort her child and that she supported the legislation. You then heard from at least a couple of state representatives who were the, the victims of rape or sexual abuse. Um, 
that there's no exception in this legislation for rape or incest. Um, it was powerful and emotional to listen to. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's kind of a, a debate that I, I probably won't forget, not only because the the stories were so vivid, but because what they were doing, if upheld by the courts, is so substantial. Okay. Rachel? I, I, I did not see much of the debate in the House. The way we handled session on the last day as stuff just moves so fast, it's easier to keep people kind of camped out in one chamber or the other. And Jason, because he'd been doing a lot of the, the uh, lifting on this, was in the House. And the Senate, I found, was a little bit more... Um, not procedural, but kind of focusing on the legislative aspects of it, just kind of what is in the bill, you know, why this is problematic. It did not get as personal. It did not last long as I think people expected it to. Democrats held the floor for about four and a half hours until the Senate uh, recessed, went into, you know, a break. And that took about 18 hours, I think, 15? Well, I think they recessed uh, at about 3 or 2.30 or something. So it's about 12 hours. I don't, I, I don't remember, but they didn't get back into session until 3.30 or 4 in the morning. I, I was sleeping when it happened. So was I. I, <laughs> I, I only made it till about 2.20 in the morning, and I feel like a failure that I couldn't last that long. <laughs> but I was literally going to collapse on those marble floors. And thankfully, Rachel was able to spring into action pretty quickly, and we were able to get stuff for the newscast. But that just showcases you how lengthy – and arduous some of these negotiations were on the Senate side. And there's some question as to whether it was a deliberate effort to kind of do this in the dark of night. You do see a lot of controversial legislation. I think when former Governor Greitens called the legislature into special session to put some restrictions on when he was governor, it was a similar thing. It passed at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning in the dark of night. The House debate was very much in, you know, the broad hour of daylight targeted to, you know, noon news, 11 o'clock news. It was they wanted people to see what was going on in the chamber. Mm-hmm. And uh, over the weekend, the <clears throat> President Trump uh, tweeted that he's, uh, you know, strongly pro-life. And he said, with three exceptions, rape, incest, and protecting the life of the mother. And Jason, as you just mentioned, that's not something that's part of this. No. And in fact, the one of the two Republicans that voted against this, Representative Shemed Dogan of Baldwin, mentioned that as the reason he voted against it. He, he mentioned, and I think accurately, that being opposed to the right to an abortion with those three exceptions has been a fairly common position among prominent Republicans. That was certainly the position of George W. Bush. It was the position of, I, I would assume, Mitt Romney as well, as well as a lot of senators um, who deemed themselves to be fairly socially conservative, and now obviously the president. I think that was more a reaction to the Alabama bill, which bans abortion immediately and doesn't have an eight-week window. But the same type of argument existed in this debate because even after six or eight weeks, there are instances where somebody doesn't even know that they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I think that the same type of arguments against that type of legislation were were made for the Missouri bill as they were for the Alabama bill. And it seemed too that they the the backers of this bill were not particularly prepared to answer the exceptions the no exceptions for rape or incest language. Jason when you covered and I've heard this from other reporters too, the availability that Governor Parson has after the end of session, they did not seem prepared to answer the obvious question which is what about a um 
uh, an exception for rape or incest. Um, and it, it, you know, I, I didn't get to the availability, but Jason, you said he just it, did not seem prepared it, to really tackle that question. It took about four or five questions, um, and he eventually answered. Other people who have been asked have basically said that there's no death penalty for somebody who commits rape, so there shouldn't be, in their view, the death penalty for in the unborn child. I also just want to mention, too, that this legislation would ban abortion completely if Roe versus Wade is overturned. And again, it doesn't have exceptions for rape or incest. So in that instance, it is similar to the Alabama law, but it would require Roe versus Wade to be overturned, which may never happen. It may happen. We, I, don't want to, I don't want to guess what will happen given the, the changing court composition, but I do feel like that's an important thing to mention since we, we continually describe this as an eight-week ban. And also, though, uh, not similar to Alabama's bill, it does not criminalize the woman, I believe, for having an abortion. It criminalizes the doctor, but the woman would not be punished. And unlike, I think it's the Georgia ban, it doesn't reach across state lines. So if a woman traveled to states that have abortion facilities or more lenient abortion restrictions, that woman would not be punished if she went to Illinois, Kansas, Colorado, etc. Okay. All right. This is going to be... uh... We're going to be talking about this for quite some time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let us move on because we have to to some of the other things that uh, were passed in this session. Uh, was this a pretty much a, a winning session for the governor? Um, yeah, I would say so. I said in my article today, by any objective measure, that the, the it was a successful session for Governor Parson. I would argue it's probably the most successful session for a Missouri governor since 2005 when Matt Blunt first came in office. And when I use the term success, I mean, he wanted things passed and the legislature passed them. I'm not making a value judgment on whether the legislation is good or bad, but it's hard to argue that when, you know, in the first part of last week while we were there, the governor's workforce development agenda and this incentive plan for General Motors to expand its once plant plant passed, um, a bonding plan for, for bridges ended up passing on the last day. Um, and a whole bunch of other things that are pretty impactful when it comes to, like, the the legal profession and lawsuits. It, he, he and def- the abortion bill was yeah. something that he is, is I going to be eager to sign, and I am assuming will make a production out of signing. So, yeah, I think by that, by that uh, metric, it was successful. Now, whether everyday people find that these things to be appealing, I guess we'll find out next year when— Governor Parson may or may not run for a full four-year term. Because he hasn't, he hasn't said yet. He hasn't said specifically. Isn't I think he people, going on the road this this year, though? I, I, I think it's assumed that he's going to, but, you know, we all assumed Matt Blunt would run for a second term, and he didn't. So I, I'm not going to make that assumption until he says, yeah, I'm running again in 2020. I think there was some relief, too, among lawmakers that this session got back to what you might call regular order, quote unquote. You didn't have a governor who was lodging bombs at the legislature any chance he could get who was basically taking his political operation and turning it on people who um, opposed his agendas. You you had a governor who came up through the legislature. Uh, Parson was a, definitely a state senator. I believe he was also a state representative. Yes, he, was. he was lieutenant governor, so he presided over the Senate. Um, he knew how to, uh, as Caleb Rowden, the Senate majority leader, uh, mentioned in his end of the uh, session press conference, this is a governor who knows how to build relationships and had made his career on building relationships when he was in the Senate and in the state house. So 
you know, again, it was a return to we have someone that we can work with and talk to. And even if we're yelling at each other over positions, we know that the governor isn't going to turn his political operation on us because we have opposed his agenda or we want to change or tweak his agenda. So I think there was some relief among especially Republicans and and maybe Democrats as well, that we know how to work within the environment of the Missouri legislature this year. We know him. He knows us. And, and And it works the way that we think it is going to. Even if we don't know the person, they're working within what you might consider the system. And you know, there will be negotiations, there will be this, there will be that. It's it's normal, in a sense. What didn't get done? They did not end up overhauling the low-income housing tax credit program. That's, which is what? Which is an incentive that is used by mainly nonprofit and for-profit developers to cultivate housing for low-income people, the elderly, and the disabled. It's been frozen since 2017, when then-Governor Greitens and his allies engineered that freeze. And Parson made it very clear to me that he wasn't going to restart the program unless the legislature did something. And I know that a lot of advocates for that program want him to basically turn back on that promise. Because for one thing, um, I've been to a lot of these developments and they're very it's very high quality housing for people that don't have a lot of money. But number two, this, this program is, can be pretty lucrative for developers, um, especially on the for-profit side. But I think it's difficult for Parson to get out of his... Uh, hard and fast statement they wasn't going to restart the program if the legislature didn't do anything. So we'll have to see what happens. Why is it so important that the legislature do something to um, him? Because there have been critics of this program who feel like this is not a, not an efficient program. Now, there are some people who disagree with the analysis on that. Um, but we'll just have to see whether he sticks to what he said at, at, at the end of 2018 or whether he reverses course. I think the other big thing that didn't get across the finish line is a prescription drug monitoring program. Essentially, doctors, pharmacists, et cetera, would um, monitor who is being prescribed opioids. It's an effort to check the opioid crisis. This was something that the Conservative Caucus, which is a group of six senators, uh, two or three of whom are actually from the St. Louis region, uh, did not want. And I think in an effort to keep them from delaying legislation, which they did do, the longest filibuster of this session was not on abortion. It was by this conservative caucus. Okay. Well, I think we are just about out of time for this session. Thank you so much, Jason and Rachel, very much. Thank you for spending your time in Jefferson City and coming back with, uh, you know, enlightening reports. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.